Today's message comes from Exodus chapter 34. The context is this. Moses had gone up onto the mountain to meet with God. And he had spent some time there. And while he was gone, the people decided to say, well, that man Moses, we don't know what happened to him. So we want Aaron to make a new God for us, who we will claim brought us out of Egypt. And he did so, and they worshiped a lie. And in the midst of the conversation with Moses, God interrupted and said that people had turned from him to worship another God, and he was going to destroy them and start over with Moses. And Moses interceded and said, no, that others will say that you brought this people out to destroy them and your name would be maligned. Then Moses goes to see what the people were doing and in his anger cast down the tablets that God had written and, and cut out, which we call the Ten Commandments, and had them broken, then destroyed the golden calf or bull, ground it to powder, and made the people drink it. From that moment to now, if you will, there had been a change, because God had then told Moses, the plan was I was going to lead you my, by presence, but if I do that, this people is obstinate, and I might destroy them, so I'm going to send my angel to go ahead of you and I'm going to give you the promised land and I'm going to take out all those who inhabit there but I'm not going with you and Moses again says God if your presence isn't going to lead us then just leave us here we want more than the promised land we want you and Moses continued on saying I want to know not just your power but who you are show me reveal to me who you are, and your glory. And that brings us to this place. In Exodus 34, it says this, Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. Now, I know this is at the beginning of the chapter, and I know our attention span is not all that great, but what says at the beginning of the chapter, I want to then comment at the end of the chapter. So remember this, that God has said, before I cut out the stones and I wrote, now I want you to cut the stones, but I'm going to write the Ten Commandments. So be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourselves there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks of the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out the two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took the two stone tablets in his hand. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, 
who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I want to come out and notice that God, after Moses had requested and God revealed his goodness, God continues to reveal to Moses who he is. All of these things that we kind of speak and proclaim, and I don't think really fully appreciate, is one of those things as we get to know God, knowing one aspect of God doesn't completely know God. So we can say that God is good, and yes, God is good. But it will take us a lifetime to discover just how good he is. As a matter of fact, it will take us an eternity to discover just how good he is. But upon that, he is compassionate and gracious and praise God, slow to anger. Because if I were God and these were my people, they wouldn't be my people. And he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives for iniquity and transgressions and sins. And then the part that we don't think is fair. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now I want you to notice we, don't, we never say that it's unfair when God is gracious and forgiving and compassionate to those who love him. And we say, well, that's cool. But those who reject him, he says, I am going to not leave them unpunished. But I want you to think, just removing God from the equation. If you're a good father or you're a good mother, then your children benefit. If you're a terrible father or a terrible mother, your children suffer. It's just the way things are. Now, some of you had a little mixture of both, and that's most of us. We had our parents who were pretty good in some things and kind of weak or not so great in others. And yet, because you're sitting in a pew, you're still here. So somehow you got through it because your parents weren't perfect. God is saying, if your parents make bad decisions, if they choose to reject me, then it's going to impact the future generations. Now, God is gracious, and there are times, and you will hear people who will give testimonies and say that I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But oftentimes, we find future generations of believers from the children of past generation believers. You're more likely to become a believer if your parents were a believer than if you weren't. Now, again, there was the joke that I used to hear many, many decades ago. Being born in a Christian family no more makes you a Christian than being born in a garage makes you a car. I get that. But the likelihood of you becoming a believer is greater because of what your parents do. And so if your parents aren't Christians, 
on a, then that's going to have an impact on you. And by God revealing this, Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. And he said, if now if I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon, your iniqui- and pardon our iniquity and our sins, and take us as your own possession. Notice, Moses is still asking God for the very same thing that God granted. He said, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us. And God says, okay, my presence will go. Moses again makes sure that God is going to be there and that these people are his people, not Moses' people. It's a part of worship. He prays and asks God to continue being gracious. Verse 10. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. God's going to make a contract. Well, that's what God was doing before. He was saying, these are my laws. These are what your, my people are to, to follow and obey so that they, the world may know that they are different and they are mine. Before all your people, I will perform miracles which I have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among you live will see the workings of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. God says, I'm going to continue to perform miracles in your midst, miracles that you have not seen before, which tells me that the people of God are still exceptionally immature. They are still asking God, and God is still saying, I will show you my power. Whereas Moses has gone past that, it's not so much, God, I don't need to show your power. Show me who you are. Now, far be it from me to give God advice. But I am human, and I have seen people, and I've seen my reaction, and I've seen the reactions of the people in scriptures, and I've seen the reaction of people in churches, and I've seen reactions of people who don't go to church. It is rare, except for the resurrection, perhaps, that miracles create faith. It seems that miracles only create the request for more miracles. It would seem to me these people who walked across the Red Sea on dry land wouldn't need another miracle from God to know that God can do whatever God wants to do. But it never seems to be enough. And in Jesus' day, they kept asking for more and more signs to feed them, to do all these miracles. And yet, I said, other than perhaps the resurrection Miracles just seem to produce more miracles. But God says, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you my power. But then he says, be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Pezzazite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is 
jealous, is a jealous God. He tells them, I am going to give you the promised land, and I am going to drive out all the inhabitants. But in that, I'm giving you a warning. This is not the first time he's given them the warning, nor will it be the last time he gives them the warning. And yet it seems they don't take a heed to the warning. It's kind of like bad analogy but when your child grows up and they get their permit and then they get their license and you tell them how dangerous it is to be out on the highway and how they need to be careful and you with trepidation give them the keys and let them drive the car statistics tell that 100 percent of the time within the first year Not only will they get a ticket, they will get into an accident. You thought you told them enough and you warned them enough and whatever, but after all, I got my license, I can drive, I'm an expert. And God keeps telling them, be careful how you interact with this new people that I'm going to give you their land. It seems, as I say, that their situation is like mine. I can resist anything but temptation. And God says, the crux of your problem is that you want to go after other gods. Ergo, you did it just a day or two ago. And that's in the middle of a desert where there are no other people but you. And your heart wanders Now you're going to go into a country that has other gods and has other forms of worship. Don't participate. And God says, because I am not only a part of who I am is jealous, but that's one of my names. And isn't it interesting when you hear people proclaim the name of the Lord? They will proclaim that he's Jehovah Jireh and that he's all providing and he's a father uh, and he's a protector and he's a creator. And we say all of these things about who he is, but we seem to always leave out that his name is also jealous. You see, God doesn't want most of you. God doesn't even want 90% of you. God doesn't even want 99.9% of you. God wants all of you, 100%, 100% of the time. Now, again, in our human condition, you can kind of relate to that. If you fall in love and get married, it's not okay with you. If that significant other person says, you know, I'm not coming home tonight because I want to go out with somebody else. And I think I'll sleep with that person. You know, you go, wait a minute. We have something sacred, something separate. You and I are together. We're one flesh. I am jealous of you. Love is not permission. Love says There's relationship. 
And God says, I want 100% of you 100% of the time. And what's going to happen is, because you are an obstinate people, because you are so quickly to turn aside, don't give in to temptation by not allowing the temptation to even exist. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice, and you might take some of his sons and daughters for your sons and his daughters. You might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. God makes the warning, and he says, this is part of our covenant. This is part of our contract. And then he starts saying, you shall make for yourselves no molten gods. Well, that's kind of a zinger, because that's what they just did. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods. Now, the second commandment, you shall have no molten gods. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. You are to eat unleavened bread as I have commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For the month of Abib, you came out of Egypt. And then he goes on and he talks about other things, listing that uh, the first male that comes out of the, uh, the womb shall be dedicated to the Lord. Uh, verse 21 talks about six days there of the work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day. And then he talks about celebrating other feasts. And in verse 23, three times a year, all of your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. And then he talks about that they're not to offer blood sacrifices with unleavened bread. Uh, And then he talks about uh, you shall bring the first fruits of your soil into the house. And he continues list, listing. And then the last one he says, And you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I ran through those rather quickly because I ran through them rather quickly because we're not going to debate about boiling a young goat into its mother's milk. But what I want you to notice God says, I'm forming a covenant with you. I'm forming a contract with you. I've pared it down. Ten rules. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And he did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, do you notice, this is where I want to come back, because you probably already forgot. The beginning of the chapter, it said that God is going to write on the tablets. Then at the end of it, it says he wrote on the tablets. So some people will say, well, there's a discrepancy here. I'm going to give you two possible reasons that this is not a discrepancy. Number one, the problem is which he. When it talks about he wrote down the Ten Commandments, the he may have been God, which would be consistent because later in the scriptures it will say that God wrote these 
The other thing is that God wrote on the Ten Commandments, and Moses wrote the ten listing of things that they were to be as a covenant. For the things I went through quickly were ten items. So I'm going to say that it's probably more likely that Moses wrote down the ten listed of things that I just ran through really quickly, and God wrote down the ten words, the ten commandments. Now I'm going to wrap up pretty quickly, but I want to give this example. God makes a contract with them. These people have a tendency to break contracts pretty quickly. So I'm going to use a human example. July 8th, 1972, on this property in a different building, I made a contract. I said that I would love, cherish, till death do us part, that I would forsake all others, that we would be together through sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, and it's been more a little closer to the poverty than to the wealth. But I made a commitment that day, and I have honored that commitment. And yes, part of me has honored that commitment because I made a commitment. I made a contract. But you know, every day I don't think, you know, when I get up this morning, you know, God, back in July 8th, 1972, I made an agreement. And I got to keep that agreement. Okay, one more day, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to forsake all others. And I'm going, you know, I don't do that. Why? Because I love her. You see, it is not a burden to forsake all others. Because I love her. It's not a problem when there's sickness or health because I love her. The problem with people is we tend to look at the contract. And what the Jews did, especially in Jesus' time, was they were so afraid of violating the contract that they made more provisions to avoid violating the contract. So I'll give you a couple of examples that exist even to today. But back then, you were not, you could only walk a certain distance. It was called the Sabbath day journey. If you walked further than a Sabbath day journey, you violated the scriptures. Well, unless you're a post office person, you don't necessarily walk for a living. So walking is not necessarily a violation of the scriptures, but there's rules around it. And there's so much so that if you were to go to Israel today and you had to go on a, on a, multi, a skyscraper on a Saturday, you probably don't want to go because every button, button for every floor is already pushed. So let's say you have to go to the 20th floor. You got to stop at one, two, three, four, all the way to the 20th floor. And when you want to come back down, you got to go 19, 18, because it's work to push a button. We're so afraid to violate God's law that we make all these other rules and regulations. Today, 
The Jewish people aren't allowed to eat cheeseburgers. The last time I checked, cheeseburgers are made from hamburgers, which is made from beef, not a goat. And in America, cheese is made generally, although there's some goat cheese, but most cheese on a hamburger, if it's really cheese, because usually it's processed food, it's cow's milk. So eating a cheeseburger doesn't violate the rule, but everybody's afraid to violate the rules. Let me give you a really great way to obey God, to not worry about him being jealous, is to obey one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. You see, just as it is not a burden to me to say, oh, gee, I got I to gotta honor my commitment and my contract because back on July 8, 1972, I made one. It is not a burden to do that because I love her. And it's not a burden to do whatever God has commanded us to do when we love him. Now, the difference between God's love and my love is I'm not perfect. I've messed up. Sometimes it's hard to love me. But there, God has never given me an excuse not to love him. He has been faithful, even though I have been faithful to him several times. God has always been forgiving. God has always been compassionate. God has always been all of the things that he has revealed in his goodness. And quite frankly, I'm glad he's a jealous God. Do you really want to be in love and be loved by someone who doesn't care where your heart is? But God cares because he loves you. And he wants you as his own possession. And he wants you as his own people. And so, yeah, we can make rules and we can make regulations and we can build hedges and, and fences around those so that we don't violate it. Or we can simply ask ourselves, do I love him? And if I love him, I will follow him wherever he leads. And that he has not 75% of me not 90% of me, not even 99.9% .9 of me, but he has all of me. Because as we sang, the breath and my lungs are his. I have no existence if there weren't for God. I would have no redemption if it weren't for him. I would have no future, not only in this life, but the one to come, if it weren't for him. And so, if I am so loved by that God, as the scripture says, I love him because he first loved me. So yes, we have a jealous God. Thank God we have a jealous God. One who wants all of you and wants to be in your life all the time.
He is a holy, awesome, wonderful God. So my invitation to you today is to consider do you do the things because Christians are supposed to do those certain things and don't do other things because Christians are not supposed to do them? Or do you live your life not because of the covenant, but because of your love? And if we're all truthful, we understand that we have not been all that faithful to him. But he is a compassionate God who forgives the sins and iniquities of his people. All we need to do is ask, and he will. So there's nothing we can do about yesterday. But from this day on, we can say, God, I know you walk with me. I choose to walk with you 